Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar looking all Marlena Dietrichy in a dashing tuxedo number, Noelle LaCroix. You do look dashing, and I'm story expert experiencing the blush of imprudent spending, Lonnie Diane Rich, and we are here today to talk about Hell's Bells, the 16th episode of season six. Hell's Bells aired on March 5th, 2002, and was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner and directed by David Solomon. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll edit Sex Poodle out of our vows. Well, we'll argue about editing Sex Poodle out of our vows. May the love we celebrate today avoid an almost inevitable decline. Let's go on patrol. In Hell's Bells, Willow and Buffy stare at their horrible bridesmaids' dresses in Buffy's room, but Anya thinks they look beautiful. At Xander's apartment, his human family is terrible while Anya's demon friends are long-suffering and sweet. But then Xander says the world's stupidest thing. Now nothing on earth can stop this wedding now. Outside in the rain and thunder, an old man who is clearly going to ruin everything pops a red umbrella. Well done, Xander. Well done. At the church, Buffy is helping Xander tie his tie while Tara and Willow flirt over helping Anya in her dress while Anya practices her vows. Meanwhile, Dawn greets guests at the door, including Anya's old boss, DeHoffrin. May the love we celebrate today avoid an almost inevitable decline. Spike shows up at the wedding with a random, apparently human date, while the humans are once again rude and dismissive of the demons, while still addressing them as circus folk. Xander goes out to glad hand everyone before the wedding when the red umbrella guy who is clearly up to no good tries to get his attention. He pulls Xander away, tells him he cannot get married today, and then drops this bomb. I'm Xander Harris. I'm you. The man tells Xander that he's from the future and takes him aside to prove what he has to say as Buffy herds Xander's drunken dad away from the bar. Old Xander pulls out a glowy ball and shows Xander a vision of the future where he's sitting on a recliner in a cluttered house while his kids fight. He's hurt from fighting demons with Buffy and can't work. Anya is angry that he ruined their lives and Buffy died anyway, again. Flash even more forward to dinner out where his human son mocks his demon daughter while Xander drinks and makes nasty remarks toward Anya. And finally, in middle age, when Anya and Xander are fighting, and he takes a frying pan and swings it, screaming at her to shut up. Xander comes back to the present, and the old man tells Xander that he can't marry Anya today. Sometimes two people, all they bring each other is pain. At the wedding, Buffy sees Spike and says hello. They're awkward but kind to each other, and he leaves. In the church's kitchen, Willow finds Xander pacing and they hug. He asks for a few minutes to work on remembering his vows, and she leaves him there. In the church anteroom, Anya continues to work on her vows. Your wife, and your confidant, and your sex poodle. Uh, sex poodle? Just as Buffy's about to get Anya to walk down the aisle, Willow grabs her and tells her that Xander's disappeared. Willow goes to look for Xander and gives Buffy the job of stalling, which she does an amazing job at. What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing's wrong. It's just, um, it's the, the minister. He had, uh, to go and perform an emergency C-section. C-section? Yeah, you know, he, he's uh, not, not just a minister, he, he's also a, a doctor. You know, he's half 
Minister Half Doctor. He's a, a, a minister. Anya continues to work on her vows, talking about what horrible things love does to people as we watch Xander wander out into the rain. While in the church, Buffy entertains the troops while everyone waits for things to start. Dawn chats with a cute demon kid and then spills the beans as Anya walks by. Xander's gone? Xander's missing? What do you mean Xander's missing? Xander's dad starts mouthing off and eventually Krelvin pops off and hits him. Understandable. And then the whole place dissolves into chaos. Willow pulls Tara out of the melee while Anya looks for Xander. Cousin Carol points out old Xander to Anya, saying that she saw Xander talking to him. Anya asks him what he said to Xander, and he turns into a demon. He was a victim of a vengeance spell Anya put on him in 1914. Every day I remembered, and every day I thought how I would somehow get here and ruin your life like you ruined mine. He attacks Anya, and Buffy fights him just as Xander comes back in. Anya tells him that the demon lied to Xander. Buffy knocks the demon out, and then Xander crushes its head with a plinth as the crowd cheers. Just when everyone was calming down, Xander's dad starts another fight, but Anya tells everyone to sit down. The wedding is happening. At the back of the church, she talks to Xander and says it's okay now. But Xander says he can't marry her. He's not ready. He looks at his parents, the way his dad yells at his mom, and doesn't want to take the chance that he'll hurt Anya that way. He leaves her there, and she walks down the aisle, crying, bleeding, and alone. Later, into Hoffren's black void, he comforts her and proposes that she come back to the vengeance fold. Anya looks at him and says nothing, but we can see her answer on her face. All right. So, Noelle, my darling, hell's bells. What is your overall response to this episode? How do you feel about it? Well, I'm I'm mixed on this episode. Mm-hmm. It feels like the middle chapters of a larger story that we haven't really seen so far and then mm-hmm. don't follow through with in the same tone. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm watching the middle of a movie about Xander and Anya's relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's just an odd episode of Buffy. Um in general like I don't I don't dislike it but I'm not entirely sure how to talk about it which is odd kind of in and of itself yeah I think that you hit on something though that it is an episode of Buffy that doesn't really feel like an episode of Buffy like it feels weird everything from the way that it's shot um, even Buffy's bedroom looks different at first I didn't even recognize yeah. it as her bedroom she has different bedspread on there like everything just looks different it's shot in a way that looks different although David Solomon is a director that has been around for a lot of episodes of Buffy so he definitely is well versed in the Buffy house style but it just feels weird from beginning to end from beginning where they're like oh my god it's so awful and then Mm -hmm. we pull out and it's the bridesmaid dress which is you know a solid joke if a predictable and cliched joke it's a solid joke you know um but it just feels weird it doesn't visually look like the rest of Buffy it doesn't feel like the rest of Buffy um I've never cared for this episode Mm -hmm. um but oddly enough though I've always liked kind of what it 
does. Like, I like the questions it raises about the karmic splashback effect of vengeance and the nature of human versus demon evil, uh, which almost always traces back not to the soul, but to essential weakness of character, which I think is really interesting. Um, I love Tara and Willow in this. Yes. I love the flirting. I kind of wish that Tara saves herself from the melee rather yeah. than Willow saving her and Tara oh, being well. damseled have had enough of that. But, you know, whatever. It's a small point. Um, I love what this episode does for Anya's character because it is absolutely a turning point for her, you know, which is great. Uh, but the episode itself, eh, you know, whatever. It's just it's never it's never really like great. Yeah. And yet it's it's kind of interesting. Well, because it raises these ideas that then I'm not sure it fully explores. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we've got this clear, like, setup of, mm -hmm. you know, Xander's family versus Anya's family or Anya's, Anya's right. people. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we're telling a story about what you come from, right? Like, like your mm -hmm. family background, who your yeah. people are. Um, mm -hmm. And Xander's big emotional turn seems to stem from the realization that he is who he is. Like, right. put another way, mm -hmm. that his parents are who his parents are, and his family is dreadful. Right. But we know from family in season five that who someone comes from isn't the whole story of who they are. I mean, yeah. we know this from life. Right. Family is not destiny. History is not destiny. Exactly. You know, that you can choose differently at any point. Um, and yet, you know, we show who who he comes from and how terrifying that must be. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and from his perspective, like it's clear that Xander believes that he is yes. doomed in this way. Mm -hmm. Right. When that last moment, when he's looking at his father screaming at his mother and he's had these visions yeah. that are not true, but also mm -hmm. as he tells us, you know, and I'll, I'll dig into this in a few minutes, mm -hmm. his, this this is a reflection of thoughts and fears that he has already had. Mm -hmm. So it's a little right. bit, I mean, it's a little bit confusing in that way of like, who you come from is not who you are unless you believe it is and Xander believes it is. Well, yeah, I mean, remember, wasn't it Restless where he had that dream sequence, right? Where at the top of the stairs, we heard his, his father, father, like his yeah. horribly abusive father. Yeah. Um, so we've had this sense of Xander's family life for a really long time, like how horrible and abusive and cruel that was, you know? Um, and so now we're actually seeing like his dad was kind of like Vera on cheers. Like we heard about his dad, you know, but we never saw mm -hmm. his dad, but his dad in this episode is worse than any, uh, first of all, any of Anya's demon family, yeah. you know, whose Anya's demon people are sweet and kind and patient and bending over backwards to make all the humans comfortable with this whole right. folk like yep. thing, you know? Um, so there's all of that stuff going on, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and we are comparing the humans. I mean, this is an entire season about human evil, right? you know, at the, at what is the nature of human evil? You know, what is it? We can't, we can blame the lack of a soul, uh, you know, demon evil on the lack of a soul, but human evil is not quite that simple. And not to mention that the lack of a soul canonically through Buffy is also not that simple. Right. You know? 
Um, but it is really interesting how his, his family is so incredibly awful and her people are like just really sweet, you know, yeah. and just very kind. And there's all of that. And I think that it's, it's just, it's so interesting, you know, but you can understand why Xander would have this sense that this is what he comes from. This is what he's always going to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we're setting up this like humans versus demons thing in a big way. And then. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you have you have lots of thoughts on this, but it seems to me like they set this thing up as humans versus demons. And, oh, you know, plot twist. The humans mm -hmm. are the bad ones. But it's not that simple. And I don't think they fully I don't know if it's not that they fully commit, but it it's not explored in as much depth as. Yeah, I think we would both like to see it explored. Well, yeah. And like also. You know, Anya's demon days, it's not like she went to demon college. Like, she was a very specific <laughs> brand of demon, yeah. right? You know, she was a, a, we will find out as we go into her backstory in season seven, that Anya was just a girl who had been done wrong, you know, mm -hmm. um, by Olaf the troll, as we would later come to know him. And um, and then Kursim and then Dahafran saw talent and made her into a vengeance demon. And so for 1200 years, she exacted vengeance, you know. Um, but like, how did she get to know all these? Was there, were there like demon bars where they just hung out like in her off time? Like Halfrek being part of her circle. Yes. Dehofren being part of her circle. Sure. But like this whole wide range of demons of which Clem actually comes from Xander's side. Clem is one of Buffy's. I right? love that. I love you know, that. So fun to see Clem. It was really fun to see Clem. Um, but the whole season, right, is is about the nature of like demon or human evil, really. It's a focus on human evil reflected upon the way that we have talked about demon evil and, and drawn that line so distinctly, mm -hmm. you know, throughout the run of the series. Um, so we've debated like the value of a soul and the endless pursuit of goodness. And textually, the season has come out and said the soul is basically worthless unless you're a former or vampire gets cursed or endures trials to get a soul back then it's worth something i don't know i'm really like we never get any clarity on exactly what the soul does um there are people who say that the soul creates an opportunity for goodness that you can either take or not mm. but then the lack of a soul means that you don't have any choice and if you don't have any choice if you're not making a choice we're going to talk about the power of choice a little bit later in this episode um then what does that say it's i it, I, uh, the thing with Buffy is that it says a lot of things I think it doesn't really mean to say and didn't real, like yeah. completely think out. I think so, right? too. Yep. Yeah. So we have Anya's demons who are really decent, Xander's humans who are truly awful. Um, in a season in which the big bads are basically the human representations of evil via weakness, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like what happens when you are too weak you know, to to not be evil, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so like all of that, I, I, I think can't be an accident. I think some of this is deliberate. It's just not played out. It's not completely thought through, you know. Um, but what I also find really interesting is that we are dealing with the inevitable karmic splashback effect of vengeance itself. Like there is a distinct difference between vengeance and justice. Vengeance is about punishing the person, right? And justice is about reparations for the offense, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and Buffy, let's just say, has never been about either vengeance or justice. Buffy is about protection. Mm -hmm. The second a demon, no matter what they've done, hello, Spike, the second a demon 
does not pose a threat anymore. Um, you know, Angel, after coming back from being Angelus, he posed a threat because the only way to stop what he had already started was to kill him. But that wasn't about punishment. That wasn't about vengeance. That was about protection, right? If somebody poses a threat, Buffy kills them. The second they don't pose a threat anymore, she walks away, you know? And we could say but there's an argument for Spike still poses a threat because he can't physically hurt people because of the chip. He can still do damage Yoko factor, mm -hmm. right? You know? Um, but yet still, we don't kill him, you know? Um, so we're looking at what Anya has done, right? Um, on what vengeance is and how vengeance is, in essence, not a good thing. Justice, reparations for the offense. That makes sense, right? But vengeance is about punishment. And that is always, you know, has a moral and karmic splashback effect. Um, and so here we have Anya who has cursed this guy who was a philanderer, right? He says, I was a philanderer. It's a great I cheated, word. Right? I love it. It is. It is. It always, and it has like the philanthropist, you know, like there sure. sounds along those lines. Yeah. Philanderer, bad. Philanthropist, good. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, but, and, you know, so it's, he was a cheater and that's shitty, you know, but she made him into a demon and cursed him to torture in a hell dimension. And that is not justice. That is vengeance. Justice for cheating is that you don't get the person that you cheated on anymore. You don't get to be part of their life unless, you know, they decide to forgive you and you earn that forgiveness, yada, yada, yada. That's a different thing. But I'm just saying that, like, that's justice, you know. Um, but this is vengeance. And it was really, really terrible. You know, um, it was it was overblown mm -hmm. for what he had actually done wrong. Yeah. Um, and I find that I find that really interesting because we do kind of give give sort of lip service to how vengeance is bad yeah yeah but do we really think vengeance is bad it's a weird i mean do we really i mean yeah it's such a strange it's such a strange facet to this episode too that it's like mm -hmm. this dude does this thing to xander Mm -hmm. that makes it so xander won't marry anya as punishment for anya doing so like i'm like I don't know totally how I'm supposed to feel about all of this. Like it feels, it right. all feels icky. Mm -hmm. And especially when Anya says, like, she's so, she's so heartbroken and forlorn. And she says, I forgot. And this demon uh -huh. dude is like, well, I didn't. And it's like, <laughs> what are we like? Like, I know, I kind of know what we're saying, but also what are we saying is, is where I am with saying? this. Like, wait, what are we actually saying about this? I don't, I honestly, I don't know. Um, and I'm not sure that they know either in telling this story. Like they just wanted to break up Xander and Anya and here's a way that we can do it without kind of fully playing out what this means. But the other thing that I kind of got into, and this is sort of like, out, you know, running outside of, of what this episode is doing, but the, the power of choice. Okay, I'm going to make a comparison and I'm just going to run through the textual evidence that I have for it. And then I really want to hear your opinion on it because I am not entirely sure what this says. Totally. But okay, the Hoffman's demons don't start out as demons, right? They mm -hmm. aren't born that way. They're recruited. They're humans who are recruited into, you know, vengeance or uh, we prefer justice demon, exactly. FYI, uh, when they show promise, right? Um, and they can say no without consequence as Willow did after the events of Something Blue. She's like, no, nah, I think so and Dauphin's like all right here take my coin it's all cool right um you know because Dauphin's immortal he's got all the time in the world to wait for Willow to be ready to be a vengeance demon, exactly. you know? yeah. um 
But I mean, something weird happens, though, when we put Anya and Angel in the same room, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Anya chose knowing full well what she was choosing when she joined up with the Hoffren. Um, Did Angel know what he was signing up for with Darla? Like, maybe a little? Uh, but I'd say no, not entirely, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Anya performed this kind of vengeance on people who maybe weren't like, you know, awesome, uh, but probably didn't deserve the level of vengeance that they got. And let's not forget, she just granted wishes. The punishment came from the quote unquote victims, right? right? And when Cordelia made her wish that brought Anya into this whole world that Buffy never come to Sunnydale, that wish was not vengeance on Xander. And it actually ended with Cordy the wisher, the innocent victim being killed, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So the victims of these wishes aren't always the men who in Anya's, you know, worldview, like, quote unquote, deserve it, right? So let's go back to Angel versus Anya, right? Anya meted out terrible outsized vengeance scenarios on people who were admittedly probably not great, you know, for a millennium. And let's not forget some of those vengeance wishes, as in the state of Cordelia, I'm certain had uh, splashback effects on the quote unquote innocent. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Angel fed on murdered and tormented innocent victims for a couple hundred years. So we have Anya choosing with full knowledge with the terms of service that she has to sign off on right mm-hmm. um for millennia angel like 150 years 200 years i think he was he was being evil or something not even yeah not even because he was 240 and he had been it had been almost 100 years that he'd had his soul um so it was like 150 years on the outside right mm-hmm. um angel spends every day of his existence in torment knowing that he can't make up for what he's done but doing what he can anyway because if nothing we do matters then all that matters is what we do right awesome Anya doesn't care you know Anya has chosen this specifically has done I would say probably in aggregate more overall damage than Angel for 10 times as long, um, isn't held to the same standard of redemption that he is because she doesn't want to be redeemed, right? Mm. She doesn't see what she's done as bad. Her victims were, quote unquote, deserving, although again, Cordelia died, right? In this one instance that we saw, right? You know, Cordelia died. So we have to presume, and a lot of other people died in that alternate wish verse, like a lot of innocent people got hurt from that, right? Um, And instead of fully seeing what she's done and thinking about it here, looking at this guy for cheating and being like, wow, that wasn't great, right? Mm -hmm. Um, She chooses instead to just vengeance harder because something bad happened to her, right? Right. Um, And we'll finally see the consequences of that choice in season seven, Selfless. But it's such an interesting, like, question of what is the difference between Anya and Angel from an outside, you know, um, like moral, moral worldview, right? You know, yeah. versus what each of them experience of what they've done, you know, and Angel's need for redemption is about Angel and who he is mm-hmm. rather than necessarily what he's done from a, a story worldview. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So do we just have a double standard or is the worldview saying that your redemption depends on whether or not you actually want redemption, your need for redemption? Oh, my God. I mean, I think they haven't thought about it that deeply. Right. Because Mm -hmm. I'm still not clear on Mm -hmm. I'm still not clear on what they think they're saying. 
Um, right. But at this point, at this point, do we know that Anya was a human? We don't yet. I, I think so. Yeah. Not at this point. At this point, do we know that she I was human? I don't think we know that she was human. Right. I think we know that because of season seven now. We know. In the yeah. Run, and we know that yeah. she was a demon for a long time and for she a is long now time, human. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of yeah. how uh, it's so odd. That's sort of how. But we also know up. that Dahafran recruited Willow, who was human. Right. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we I'm not sure the audience would necessarily mm-hmm. make that connection the first At time this point, through. I don't know if we've textually got that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And something that's interesting to me about Anya and Halfrak actually, is that mm-hmm. their whole setup, their whole relationship with being a vengeance or justice demon, which mm-hmm. is an interesting Very word choice all on its own, right? Because mm-hmm. justice, justice is this thing that we think is objective. Like we, we call, yeah, we act mm-hmm. like there's yes. this thing called justice that just is, but it's it's not. I mean, we see that right. we see that socially and politically all the time. This idea mm-hmm. of people, you know, being punished for what, what they do. What and, we call justice yeah. is actually vengeance. Yeah, like we mix these up a lot. Yeah, but justice in itself is fair, and a lot of what we meet out as a society, calling justice, is absolutely unfair. Yeah. 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 So that that piece of it is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what strikes me most about Anya and Halfrek and Hoffren is that this is a working relationship. Yeah. It's set up like like they're like they go to the office together. And I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, and OK, hilarious, like very funny. <laughs> Love the idea of, you know, like, of like a vengeance office. Yeah. Yeah, like a like a vengeance demon. I love you know De Hoffren with his like, you know, call me if you change your mind. He has a card essentially. Like yeah, it's, it's funny, mm-hmm. but also like, what are we really saying here? You know that yeah. she was doing a job because you're right. She wasn't. She was she was granting wishes, but mm-hmm. you know we've sort of we've sort of osmosed from Halfrek that there's an opportunity for the demon to kind of put her own spin on things yes because anya mm-hmm. says oh is that how you explain your thing for what is it right. neglectful parents you know or whatever yes. it is mm-hmm. it's like so they have their little they have their little specialties too and they put their own spin on it in the same way that mm-hmm. like you might you might hire a caterer knowing that you want kind of this type of food but then they put their own signature you know, flavor right. and presentation on it. Like that's that's kind of the dynamic that we get from these vengeance demons. And I'm just like, on the one hand, okay, that's that's funny. And also, mm-hmm. what? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know. I also find it really super weird that here we have all these demons who are very, very nice and well behaved and bending over backwards to code switch and make the humans comfortable, which 
you know, really I am I am sensitive to how that that maps to other societal, you know, um, situations mm-hmm. we have, especially with regard to race and white people. Yeah. And also, I mean, and anything marginalized. Yeah. Right. It's like I don't mind yeah. demons as long as they act human in public. Like, you exactly. know, it... <laughs> as long as you pass. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, like and that and to make you know, certain populations more comfortable, right? You know, so we have this thing where we have all of these demons who are essentially code switching to make the humans comfortable, going bending over backwards, being really, really sweet. Then we have this one demon who comes in and fucks some shit up by pretending to be older Xander, right? Turns into a demon. Xander smashes the demon's head with a plinth in a room that is half full of demons and everyone cheers that shit is weird to me. That feels weird that a bunch of demons have just seen a demon get his head fucking smashed, probably without really knowing exactly what's going on, because it's not like everybody had time to explain right. what's going on. And everybody just cheers. And these and not to mention that this is in the middle of a human versus demon melee. Right. right? Yeah. Where everybody's fighting. That whole thing felt so weird to me. Um, and that's just something I wanted to point out. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It just felt wrong. It felt weird and wrong. And like somebody needs to stand up for, you know, as odd as this sounds, the humanity of demons. Yeah. You know, like there's just, yeah. Well, it is. Know. I mean, it's such an odd choice, too, that we have this, you know, we're doing this story where it's like mm-hmm. the humans are monsters and the demons are adorable. And then there's this yeah. dude who was a human who gets turned into a a demon, who disguises Mm -hmm. himself as a human to fuck with an ex-demon who's now a human. Guys, I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I know, right? I drop, like, trying to follow this line of thinking all the way through to some kind of conclusion about what the story is saying about this is, like, a fool's errand. I can't get through. It's, it's, you know, I'm a knitter, and there's a point where you just have to cut the thread and stop trying to pull the knot out. You know, like, it just is never going to work. It's never going to going to make any sense yeah. and that's just it um but i thought that was interesting i don't know what to do with it i don't know what to say about it but i thought it was kind of an interesting thing um and the last thing i pulled out of this episode was a very very small thing but which i found kind of interesting it's sort of happening in the background mm-hmm. um but in an episode that purports to be kind of about love and the nature of love i find this a little interesting um we have you know fat cousin carol who is clearly unacceptable to be loved because she is fat and has a kid. Oh, I know. Right? And she's like the nicest person of the Harris group. Uh, of the Harris class? Yeah. Absolutely. But also seems sweet. Yeah. Right? You know? Um, and then we have Krelvin, right, who has a quote unquote skin condition as a quote unquote circus person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Carol's fat. Right. So the presumption is that they would go well together because they can't afford to be picky. And we know that no one can be happy unless they're with someone else. So they need to pair off. Right. We are very uncomfortable yeah. with people who are like, I don't need a partner. I can get through life on my own. That makes us all very uncomfortable. Later in the church, while Buffy's stalling, we see Krelvin smile at Cousin Carol. And somehow we're supposed to be pleased that these two sad single people who just met and don't know each other at all might pair off 
because they are the only people who could possibly love each other as unacceptable as they are with a skin condition and some extra weight, right? Um, and this is the kind of shit that our stories sell mm-hmm. us. First, that you have to be with someone or you are not whole or complete and cannot possibly be happy. Second, that if you are not young, beautiful, and childless, you'd best take what you can get because the best you can get is a Krelvin or a Carol. And I say I am not signing off on that bullshit because Krelvin has a skin condition, but he is the sweetest and kindest dude. And that matters so much more, you know, and Carol is presented as unlovable because she's fat and has a kid, but fat people can also be attractive, believe it or not. Uh She's very pretty and she seems incredibly sweet, even if she can't tell the difference between her earrings and Xander's cufflinks. You know, it's a mistake. It happens. But the show itself is saying that Krelvin and Carol are right for each other, not because they have anything in common or even because they're both good people, which I think that they are, but because neither of them should be too choosy about who they're with because of how they appear, right? Oh, yeah. So let me just say for the record... That the thing that you must be the choosiest about, right, is the person that you're with. Yeah. Everyone should be super fucking picky about that. Be picky. You should be picky. And you do not need to be with somebody. Being alone can be awesome. So I just, like, that is a message that we have in our storytelling all the time. And it just, I looked at it and I was like, I don't like that. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I bounced so hard off of the I can't afford to be too picky. Like we could do, yeah. we could spend an hour on that idea alone. I'm yeah. just like, oh no. Nope. No, 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 no. Um nope. Oh God. And also like <laughs> cousin Carol or cousin Carol, Aunt Carol is Yeah, cousin Carol. Adorable. Like adorable. She's... Sweet. I she is sweet. want her out of that family so hard. <laughs> like... I do too. She does not deserve that family, but there she is. Like we're showing how awful all of the humans are and what exactly is wrong with Carol. Except that she's been married multiple times and has a child who uses an inhaler. Yes, and, like, exactly. I... Oh, and I'll, I mean, I'll, and, I'll and that an- ableist bullshit of anybody who needs an inhaler is somehow essentially broken. Right. Like, I, you know, <sighs> I went on that rant a couple of weeks ago about how pissed off I was that they were making fun of Sophie's like food yeah. dietary needs or whatever, which drives me crazy as a symbol of, you know, of weird or annoying or whatever. Um, and anybody who wants to go back can listen to Older and Far Away and, and get everything they want to out of that. Um, but here we have like we do the same thing with people who, uh, you know, have inhalers, like people who, you know, might die. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they need to use an inhaler to breathe is somehow some kind of signal of uh, annoyance or lesser than or whatever. And that's fucking ableist bullshit. And I hate it. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to do a minor rant. About yeah. That. Oh, totally. Totally. Like rant away because it is things. Mm-hmm. It's those little things that we gloss over mm-hmm. in our storytelling, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Right. Because ways mm-hmm. that people are framed Ways yes. that, you know, what what we let be shorthand for who this mm-hmm. person is or what their life right. circumstances are. Like those things, we just suck them up when we're consuming. Mm-hmm. It's implicit messaging. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It, so, you know, it's good to call it out. It's interesting to call it out, too, because, you know, it just it just 
lives on by otherwise. And it is. Well, and we accept it as true because we're told that it's true. The things that you are told are true, especially in implicit messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, Get into you and you don't know that they're there. Yeah. You know, Um, and you have to actively work at weeding them out. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen this. You know, and up until up until this watch, I wasn't upset about Sophie and her dietary needs and older and far away. I wasn't (laughs) upset about cousin Carol. I was like, yeah, she's got a few extra pounds. Clearly she's unlovable because I've had a few extra pounds my entire life and have always felt that way about myself because of this shit. And so I'm saying, hey, you know what? Fat girls were awesome. Yeah. Fuck everybody else. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Had enough of that. Um. So the one thing I wanted to hit on with the story stuff is actually something I am stealing from myself. I, whenever I'm, I'm now in the part of, <laughs> of this run through Buffy uh, where I started Still Pretty as a video series picking up from a podcast that ended prematurely. Um, and so I picked up with Gone and did a bunch of videos and then decided I wasn't done with Buffy and roped Noelle into podcasting with me. And that is the history and it's of Still amazing. Pretty. It's so fun. Um, But so now that we're, you know, in the space where I started with the series originally in the videos, I go back every week and I kind of look at what I had to say uh, previously and and see, like, do I still agree with that? Do I want to add more to that? Do I want to, like, ignore that because I don't agree with that anymore? This kind of thing. And I bring those things into the, the thing that we're working on. And very rarely do I pull something over word for word. But there was part of what I what I did in this episode uh, for Hal's Bells in the video version that I really kind of liked. And so I'm pulling it over. So whatever. I love it. Um, Hey, you know, (laughs) if it's good, seriously, if it's good and you stand by it, do it. I love you pulling your own stuff. Yeah, I'm pulling my own stuff. I am citing myself. Um, So here here it is slightly updated from that original script. In a September 2001 interview with the AV Club, Joss Whedon presented the writer's directive in terms of not giving people what they want. I think it's a mandate. Don't give them what they want. Give them what they need. Whedon has used this as an excuse to do whatever he wants and kill any character on the brink of being happy. But we're going to let that slide for the moment because I think that this is actually a very valuable idea. The concept of what we want versus what we need, especially in fiction. Fiction can absolutely be a place for working out fantasy happy endings. But the road to those endings needs to be hard in order for that happiness to feel earned and thus have meaning. We need to work for it, suffer for it and fail for it. And once that happiness is achieved, once the thing desperately wished for is finally attained, then the story is over because story is about the earning of the thing, not the having of the thing. And I would hardly say that Xander and Anya are, you know, quote unquote, the thing. And their sad end has been slowly seeded as necessary for a long time in the seemingly endless volley of sarcastic slings and arrows that Xander shoots at Anya, showing his complete lack of respect for her. And while from Anya's perspective, this is the thing that could have happened ultimately, even though she didn't get what she wanted, she got what she needed. And so that, to me, when we get to the end of this episode, when we have this moment where she has finally broken free of Xander, she's gotten what she needed, which is to not define herself through his love of her anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, well, and it's, a, it's an interesting read on Anya specifically and getting what mm-hmm. she needs because... Yeah. I mean, and you'll get to this when you when you talk a little bit about the journey that we go on with Anya in this episode. But 
it mm-hmm. it's almost like they they have to rewrite Anya in this episode so they can unwrite her again and mm-hmm. it's very odd um, exactly ultimately does Anya get yeah. what she needs i mean i think so in terms of becoming a more full-fledged fully realized character on the show but mm-hmm. it's a strange it's a strange breaking point for Anya it's a strange it is ending for Anya because she didn't choose it yeah. and that's the thing here we have Anya a character who chose right mm-hmm. who chose to be a vengeance demon who chose but did not choose to not be a vengeance demon did not choose to be a human and as soon as she became a human sort of started following this uh you know pres- like prescribed yeah. ideal for what or quote unquote ideal you know hegemonic ideal yeah for um you know for what a woman her age should be doing which is get a man and have babies but before we get to talking about Anya's arc yeah this, you have a lot to say about Xander and I am fascinated by all of this I really have a lot to say about Xander um, yeah. I mean, I have a lot to say about Xander. If you have been listening to this podcast for <laughs> any length of time, I have a lot to say yes. about Xander. Um, mm-hmm. And this is this is a fascinating Xander episode. Mm-hmm. Xander, for me, is the most interesting thing about this episode. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the emotional journey that we go on with him and how that is structured within within the episode um mm-hmm. so it's you know it's there's a storm out there's because of course there is right of, of course, course there's there thunder is. yes of course mm-hmm. there's thunder on this wedding day but he starts out in the episode trying so earnestly to integrate all the chaos and family unpleasantness mm-hmm. and ends in a motel room by himself Oh, yeah. And my heart just breaks for him. Mm-hmm. It is. This is such a tragic story about his inner life. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of there there. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we first see Xander in this episode, he's trying to find his cufflinks, which are a fantastic thing to have him scrambling over symbolically. Right. Because they literally hold things together. I love it. Cufflinks are also it. a nicely symbolic touch in that they're one of the only um, jewelry type accessories that masculine of center mm-hmm. folks tend to wear for formal occasions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. cufflinks indicate a level of fanciness and formality that is way outside the norm for most people and especially mm-hmm. for Xander. So just being in a situation that calls for cufflinks is very not Xander. There you go. And apparently it's also not, quote unquote, where he comes from, because when the cufflinks are finally discovered, it's because Carol has put them on as earrings, um, which is a bit of a classist ride that we're suddenly on as well. But, you know. Oh, yeah. well, I'm not at all surprised about yeah. finding classes and pop up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And because, you know, one holding together type symbol wasn't enough. We also get to see Buffy and Xander wrestling with the cummerbund. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love this scene. Mm-hmm. This is one of those scenes that on paper could have gone a couple of different ways. 
Yeah. Xander's line about everyone being able to see the spot where his shirt meets his pants, which is a very vulnerable spot on the body. Oh, incidentally. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. could that that line could have come across as sarcastic or mocking, but he seems genuinely upset about it in a way that feels like true pre-wedding nerves to me. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. This is also the kind of specific worry that we usually only get from feminine of center people in pop cultural depictions of weddings. Yep. The relatively small detail, usually an article of clothing, that becomes the subject of hyper-focused anxiety is a trope of brides. And I just really like getting to see it from a groom for once. Yeah. No, that's nice. So then he goes, poor Xander, he goes, he goes from confusion and worry You know, it fit Mm -hmm. when I picked up the tux. What if it doesn't fit? To a kind of harsh determination bordering on anger. Yeah. Which we get in the quasi-German, I must wear Das Cumberbund. (laughs) Which Nick Brendan, you know, knocks it out of the park with that delivery. Um, He's clearly on an emotional roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Clearly on an emotional roller coaster. He's gone through all of the emotions in, in the Cumberbund scene. Mm-hmm. And it primes the pump for the demon disguised as an old man to hit him with a big dose of terror, right? Right. So he makes it into his cummerbund, bow tie, pants, shoes, everything. And then he has to deal with his family. Mm-hmm. And also the chaos of the pre-wedding mingle. I don't know. Yeah, that's terrible. That that Okay, <laughs> I've never been to a wedding that had a pre-wedding anything like that. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But okay, I mean, sure, sure. I'll allow it. Yeah. It it adds mm-hmm. to the chaos of everything and to Xander's sense of overwhelm. But mm-hmm. what I find really interesting and noteworthy is that while Xander's father is clearly the absolute worst, yeah, the overwhelm shows up in the form of three women: his mm-hmm. mother, an older aunt or grandmother who literally grabs him by the cheeks, and Dawn, who informs him that one of Anya's gifts, not Xander's. Anya's has gotten loose. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's intentional foreshadowing of who the old man really is, but I like it. Yeah. Something of Mm -hmm. Anya's upsetting, demon adjacent, maybe dangerous, is on the loose in what is supposed to be a celebration space. Mm -hmm. Xander is being asked to attend to the pressing needs of several women at once, and I can't decide if it's misogynistic that this is how the show chooses to visualize his overwhelm, but I think it's an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when the old man shows up claiming to be Xander from the future. Yeah. <laughs> and I had forgotten, <laughs> by the way, that this wasn't really Xander from the future. I was along oh, for yeah. the ride on my first rewatch oh, of this God. episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's shocking to me sometimes which details I remember yeah. and which ones I forget, but yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the old man swoops in. And the old man tells him when when the old man, you know, shows him the glowing orb of whatever. Huda right. huda. Mm-hmm. I love how many glowing orbs there are in this world. Just like, yeah, totally. We got the orb of Thessala. Uh, Thess- <laughs> so you can't even say it. The orb of Arugula. <laughs> the orb the of, orb of you know. <laughs> the orb of thistle yeah. something. Anyway. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's great. So, so you know, there's an orb, magic orb. We know how these work. This is cool. Right. Sure. Um, but the old man tells him, you'll see what I've seen, feel what I've felt. Mm-hmm. And he hits the second half of that line really hard. It's great enunciation. 
feel Mm -hmm. what I've felt. I love it. Yeah. And it sums up exactly why this trick works so well at all. Mm -hmm. Xander feels it. These aren't just visions of a future he fears. He experiences the sensations and the emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be quite the cocktail. Grief over the loss of Buffy paired with debilitating back pain? Um, Mm -hmm. No, thank you. No, thank you. And that's before we get to all of the hostility with his, you know, growing children and Mm -hmm. that horrible, horrible scene in the kitchen. Um, Oh, God. Yeah. But I like the death three beat in -hmm. the visions or maybe it's a four beat. Mm -hmm. Xander yells that he hopes Anya crashes her pink car, which is maybe implied death. Not sure. His teenage daughter wishes death on him. Xander hits Anya, we presume fatally, with the skillet. And Mm -hmm. Buffy's death looms over the whole dismal future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's especially noteworthy that Buffy's death is what ostensibly breaks up Anya and Xander's marriage in this horrible, horrible future. It's quote unquote after Buffy that the couple stops touching. Well, it's interesting, too, because that's like the the centrality of Buffy and their relation. When things get rough, he mm-hmm. goes hiding behind his Buffy. Like that. Yeah. Right. That's all part of yeah. their relationship. Now, look, he's getting huffy because he knows that I know. He knows that I know. Right. Yeah. Not, he, not that he knows that I'm right. He knows that I know. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But this whole like death theme and especially the yeah. the future where Xander and Anya are married and Buffy is dead is an interesting take on till death do us part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We've especially I think at that point we have heard Xander's dad mumbling about till death do us part and how stupid mm-hmm. that is. like he has something negative to say about that because Mr. Harris has something right. negative to say about everything. Um, Absolutely. But till death do us part. I mean, the idea and this is so brilliant. I'd never picked this up, but you're seeing all these death beats in something like in a celebration day, which like a central to the wedding is till death do us part. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of the office where uh, Dwight says that they get married standing in their own graves. You know, yes. it makes the it makes the the funerals, you know, really nostalgic. But the weddings are a bleak affair, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the the connection of death to marriage is actually a really really interesting cultural one. Yeah. Well, in one of the most powerful weddings that I was ever fortunate enough to attend, involved mm-hmm. the couple as part of the ceremony playing a video game together. Where, when they get to the end of the game. One of them dies before the other one. So they're walking Ooh. together through the game. Uh-huh. And then one of them, as they get to the end of this walk, one of them, and it's random in the game, apparently, which one it's going to be. Yeah. That a little, mm-hmm. that that person, that player disappears in a little graves, uh, gravestone appears. And uh-huh. I'm getting choked up talking about it. Oh, my God. But then the the game doesn't end until the other player dies. So oh, my God. You're sitting there watching this little figure walk around on a screen who was walking with another person. Oh. And they're just, they're suddenly, you know, walking by themselves. And, you know, who knew I was going to (laughs) cry on a podcast? Oh, my God. I usually cry. Like, but it was such a beautiful, it was such a beautiful 
um oh what it, it was such a beautiful acknowledgement of the commitment that these two people were making to each other that they Mm -hmm. took that very seriously and it is like it is the the biggest god it is like the biggest saddest thing about being in any sort of long-term relationship with someone whether it's a marriage or not um you know that that long term committed yeah, yeah that group of friends you know your circle of friends if you if you are fortunate enough to have a tight you know close knit mm-hmm. little group like someone in that group is going to be the first to die yeah and that's really hard to think about like we really don't like this um mm-hmm. you know especially i think especially in the US we don't deal with death very well at all um no mm-hmm. but it is a weird like it's a it's a weird thing that culturally we're not great about death but till death do us part is this huge component of many a mm-hmm. a wedding ceremony um yeah i mean that's central to the wedding the acknowledgement of death you know is central to weddings and i, I just find that so interesting that you made that connection yeah and wow that video game oh man Jesus. i need to find i need to i need yeah. to find out what it was um and i would you know i would have pulled it mm-hmm. beforehand but in the moment no, not okay. in the script it's so interesting right <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun when we pull things out of the script that were not originally in there um yes mm-hmm. so anyway okay so we have this <laughs> so i was talking about death and marriage and that's cool um that's chill it's fine so okay so so xander you know obviously like very very shaken by all of this he still mm-hmm. believes that this is a vision of the future that we yeah. later, you know, he will later explain, confirms mm-hmm. for him or affirms for him some yeah. thoughts and fears that he had had. The next time we see him is in the kitchen with Willow. And I don't entirely know what to make of the scene between them. Yeah. Particularly Willow's odd joke suggesting that formal wear is somehow sexual identity kryptonite or something. Well, I think that's referencing uh, when they were getting ready for the prom. Yeah, and yeah. Then, or for the form. It was like formal, for a formal dance. I don't remember if it was for the prom. Yeah. And that's when they started making out. And uh, Oh, I remember. But it's framed yeah. in this weird way, right? It's this it like, is, it is good framed thing I realized that. I was gay. And it's like, I don't know, man. It, or you'd be cheating on your soon-to-be wife right I now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It. It, that's the kind of thing that I want to chalk up to a straight writers writing gay characters misstep. Yeah, it, it's weird. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I like that after the violent vision in the kitchen, Xander retreats to the kitchen at the wedding venue yeah. because yeah. he's still mm-hmm. in that space. Right. Right. He's, his mind and his emotions are still in that vision in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then Willow hugs him, and it's a good hug. And they tell each other that they love each other. I love that. And then she says they can't start the wedding without him. And that seems to be the thing that prompts him to leave. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is supposed to be a beat about the unconditional love that exists between Xander and Willow. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like we haven't nurtured that relationship quite enough over the course of the show. It's always been sort of implied. Mm-hmm. But I like that this moment of feeling deeply loved 
seems to be what wakes Xander up a little bit to his own emotional reality, right? I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what he does is the right thing to do, but it Mm-hmm. Something about that connection with Willow seems to be the thing that solidifies for him that not yeah. marrying Anya is the right thing to do, um, mm-hmm. which is just fascinating to me. And then in the end, when Xander tries to express to Anya that it wasn't her he was hating in the visions, my oh. my heart just breaks. I just I yeah. can't. You know, he says, I had these thoughts and fears before this. And as Anya is trying to reassure him that it'll be okay, you know, everyone has bad thoughts. He's looking over her shoulder at his father screaming at his mother. Mm -hmm. And my headcanon is that it's this moment when he says that they can't start over, that he's acknowledging the ways in which he has already been awful to Anya. Oh, man. That is interesting. I never read it that way, that he ever understood the way that he talked to her and the way that he was with her. Um, Yeah. I don't know that he textually does. I like I like that headcanon. I like that reading. Um, Mm -hmm. I like that reading, especially because for him, that would be so painful to acknowledge that it wouldn't be explicit i think that's the kind of realization that would exist only in him and he would probably heard about it for a really long time because he wouldn't know how Mm -hmm. to bring that up with her you know it's like when you're realizing when you realize that you were doing your best and your best is really not that great um (laughs) it feels like it feels like that moment to me Mm -hmm. um and maybe that is like the most generous reading of xander but you know, there's something yeah, that's all right. there's something poetic about the most generous reading of Xander coming from me on this show. And uh, <laughs> I'll stand by that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I like that you're giving Xander a generous reading because, you know, I think that that makes it a more interesting character beat, too. Oh, for you know? sure. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where he owns some of that awfulness because the awfulness that we're seeing is stuff that is external to Xander, but which he feels like is going to be a part of him. And the idea that maybe how great would it have been if he had a point, right? Because when you look at it, the way it's presented textually, it's like, Xander, you're just freaked out. You're not like your dad, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he kind of is like, he's not, he's not an asshole the way that his dad is but he's kind of an asshole in another way and the idea that if he could see that especially because it was too long ago that we had Halfrek kind of point it out make it textual yeah you know um and Xander having some understanding of that wouldn't have gone amiss with me yeah oh that would have been I mean it would have been great too it would have been great that you know to acknowledge that just because you're not your father doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you didn't pick up some really negative relationship habits and ideas from right. living with that person. I mean, you can't, mm-hmm. you cannot, ha- you, you hmm. people don't organically form healthy relationships, especially people yes. who were not raised surrounded by healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, yeah. you can be very aware in a relationship of what you don't want to do. That's pretty easy. And I think a lot of people who 
come from, you know, some sort of abuse or just a difficult household growing up Mm -hmm. have a sense as young adults of, well, I'm not going to do this thing. You know, I, there's right. this thing I can point to that this or that mm-hmm. parent or other adult in my life did, and I'm not going to do that. But then you have to figure out, well, what is what is a healthy relationship? What is a good right. response? What are right. my patterns that I'm not conscious of? And I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that looking over on your shoulder at his parents as a oh, shit, I already have these patterns in me kind of moment for Xander. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, I, of course, uh, meditated more on Anya. <laughs> Anya, who is one of my favorite characters of all time. You love um, Anya. I love you love dearly. this I turn do. for her, yeah? I do. I love this term. Oh, my God. Anya's path to freedom through heartbreak. Jesus. <laughs> I love that. Um, Doesn't remind I me never... of anyone I know personally at a podcast <laughs> with on the right. I don't know. I just weird. Like so weird. It's... That doesn't happen to people. But it's... anyway, go on. <laughs> it's possible is all I'm saying. But anyway, um, I've never liked the way that Xandra's treated Anya. Um, and I wanted her to realize that value. And I wanted her to break up with him, yes. which seemed like something we were headed toward with Hal Freck's little huh conversation, so right? Good. But it didn't really have a lasting effect. It was it was one scene at the end of that episode. But we don't have Anya asking herself these questions. And it is another missed opportunity in a long streak of missed opportunities with Anya. Um, here we have like she was human. You know, once she spent 1200 years taking vengeance on men who done women wrong. And then the second she's human again, she puts herself right into this traditional format heterosexual relationship that is straight out of the 50s. And all of the sets from Xander's fake flash forwards, I guess, Uh (laughs) um, are dressed like they're from the 50s or the 60s. Xander's wearing his tux in various states of disarray that is a modern tux, right? So Xander is himself from this modern era. But Anya and everything around her is from the 60s. Their house is decorated like it's the 60s. Their kitchen appliance are from the 60s. Um, And so is Anya's view of their relationship. And yet in her vows, right, she refuses to obey. That's misogynistic and anachronistic. And what do you think you are anyway? A sea captain, which, by the way, never getting married again. But if I do, that's going in the vows. Um, (laughs) I love it. I I love what do you, what do you think you are a sea captain I like that um I promise to have sex with you whenever I want right <laughs> and then turns around immediately and says she'll be his sex poodle and like the whipping back and forth between you know modern I would say less feminist ideals and more nods toward feminine ideals maybe um and then this this kind of classic you know 1950s mid-century way of looking at love and marriage and relationship it is like absolutely disorienting you zipping from one to the other you're like where the hell are we at this particular moment yeah um and the fact that we never went deeper into Anya's experience like why she chooses this traditional relationship with Xander making him take her to the prom and then being so invested and having this very traditional relationship with him that's all about marriage and babies 
Like that is a missed opportunity. I want to understand why after dedicating herself to vengeance upon men, specifically in their relationship to women, she chooses to pursue the very hegemonic relationship structures that she spent 1200 years avenging. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's not forget people do terrible things to each other in relationships, regardless of gender, but her view and her perspective on all of this is highly gendered. She chose to avenge terrible things done in one particular manifestation of relationship Mm -hmm. with specific regard to societal power dynamics, the terrible things that men do to women. Mm -hmm. So why the second she becomes human, does she go into a traditional relationship with a man? And it's not even like this is the guy. I mean, again, like Calvin and Carol or Krev- I'm sorry, <laughs> Krelvin and Carol, um, that, uh, that she immediately goes into this idea of I have to have somebody. The music is over. This is the chair that's available. Mm-hmm. I guess it's you and me, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I find it so interesting. And my God, I wish that someone had answered that question in any of these years that Anya has been on this show. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, it's it it has always rung sort of like some sort of bioessentialism, heterosexism to me. The, yeah. the my read on it. And this is I mean, this is coming from like my corner of the queer umbrella but it has always felt to me very much like i got this human body and it has these i got this human girl body and it has these human girl urges and all like as though to suggest her physicality dictates her path in life Uh in this very like and she can't control it kind of way like, yeah, she wants to. There's also there's also a part of Anya that wants very much to be right. And yeah. for her, that means following this script for mm-hmm. what the greatest and best way to be a human female is. And that is the you know, that's the dominant narrative about what women want in life and in relationship. Mm hmm. I don't know. It's always it's felt... an unquestioned narrative, though, isn't oh, totally. it? Oh, totally unquestioned. Oh no, it's not questioned, and it is very much presented yeah. by both the show and I think Anya herself as like, the, like, I don't know what I don't know. I just want this, and then like it's the natural way to be. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, like this is a cornerstone of being human. Mm-hmm. Like there is one way to human. Yes. Um. Oh, there's one way to human woman, mm-hmm. right? Sure. You know, yeah. with all of those associations. Yeah. Yeah. It's not examined. Um, and it mm-hmm. absolutely, it absolutely should be. And it's, yeah. and then it gets used as this thing that makes Anya so funny because we have these interlocking body parts and we should interlock them. And, you know. Oh, which, by the way, like the interlocking body parts and whatever, like, let's just, let's just take that for a moment and say you can interlock a lot of different body parts does not require a penis like i'm just saying yes there's a lot of things (laughs) that that are pleasurable there are pleasurable interlocking things that do not require a penis that said like i get her wanting sex i have a human body now i want to have some fun with it that whole thing i'm completely on board and who you choose to have that fun with 
is not like predicated by gender. You choose whoever you want. You can have a great time, no matter what gender anybody is. Um, you know, that said, we do have this presented from Anya very much as if we have sex, we are in a relationship. This is how all of this goes. And it is very 1950s when she was not human in the 1950s. She was not human in the 1850s or the 1750s. It was like the <laughs> 850s, you know? So um, all of it is, it's just so freaking weird. And then we come into Anya's vows, right? Um, and I'm going to go ahead and play them here because I find these so interesting. So here are Anya's vows. For the last time. I, Anya, want to marry you, Xander. Because I love you, and I'll always love you. And before I knew you, I was like a completely different person. Not even a person, really. And I had seen what love could do to people, and it was hurt and sadness. Alone was better. And then, suddenly there was you. And you knew me. You saw me. And it was this thing. You make me feel safe and warm. So, I get it now. I finally get love, Xander. I really do. That is such a massive rewriting of the actual text. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is revisionist history at its grandest. What? Yeah. Was any of that true? Also, I wasn't a person before I met you. I mean, she was a demon. She was a demon. Sure. But she was a being who seemed to have a pretty good sense of herself and her place in the world without him. Um, he was just a boy who was present when she became <laughs> human. That's all he was. Yeah. I I do not know what to do with this. Like, it's, I, I just do. I'm like, what? He sees her. He knows her. What? Since when? He doesn't even exactly. seem to like her. He was present and male. That is all he was. It is I mean so weird and it speaks to this idea of a relationship itself being the validation, right? That we need that relationship in order to be personally validated as humans. And here is the thing. When you are in a relationship solely because it supposedly validates your existence that like this person wants to be with me or a person wants to be with me, that that is an externally validating relationship, that is is a doomed, to use a Buffy term, a doomed relationship. <laughs> if you are are going to a relationship purely for that external sense of validation because a person wants to be with you, um, that is never going to work. That is not a reason to be in a relationship. Um, and so all of that, as I'm listening to these vows from Anya, which are written and directed and presented as though they are highly romantic, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, so, so contrary to all the text that we have seen up to this point, that it is astounding. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think there's anything, I think in a vacuum, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. nothing exists in isolation, right? But, right. 
before I knew you, I was like a completely different person. Not even a person, really. Okay, well, that's supposed to be funny because she was a demon. But right. like, okay, sure. Like, I was a, diff- a completely different b- person before I knew you. That could be... That could be romantic, right? Because in relationship, we can be mirrors for each other and show each other things that we didn't realize sure. were good and lovable about ourselves. You know, things like, like, I'm like, it's kind of a stretch, but the biggest... Except not even a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what drives me crazy. Is not even a person. I didn't have value before you bestowed value upon me. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which is definitely how it comes across, even though I think it's written to be like, oh, that's so funny because before they met, she was a demon. She was a demon. It's it's so weird. And it's such a bummer that they have to rewrite. I don't know that they have to, but that someone Mm -hmm. decided that it was appropriate to rewrite Anya's series Mm -hmm. of, I don't even know, that the the Anya side of the story gets completely rewritten so that we can then rewrite her again after Xander After Lee? we just had Halfrick's huh conversation. Yeah. This drives me crazy. And then at the end, here she is back where she started. When she originally lost her necklace and powers, she wanted to go back to vengeance and Dehofren wouldn't let her, right? So I kind of wish at some point in her new life, uh, Dehofren had given her the choice to come back again and she had turned it down. Right. Um, so that we would have a choice that this would be the final De Hoffren three beat where she goes Ooh. to him and says, I want it back rather than him offering it to her. Yeah, It would have been really nice to see that agency from Anya. It would have been really nice if Anya had ended this relationship. It would have been nice or, you know, like, I mean, maybe Xander could end it because we do need to have her kind of broken down, Mm -hmm. but she needs to make some choices. She is not given any choices. She's not giving any, um, you know, like any sense of her own agency in her story until now. Once she breaks up with Xander, then Anya's all about her own agency and I fucking love it. But up until then, we don't see that. Although a couple of episodes ago, we did see that it wasn't great the way that Xander treated her and that she does deserve better. Halfrick gave that to her on a silver platter and she put the silver platter down and wrote a thank you note for a nice wedding gift and just moved on. Like, (laughs) I don't get it. It's such a lost opportunity. It's so weird. It feels from a writing standpoint, like they kind of didn't know what to do with Anya. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, we want to use Anya because Anya's great. And Anya's great. I want as much Anya as we yeah. can get. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of, I mean, you talk about the way they give her all of the jokes to carry, which is true. But they yes. also give her all of the, I don't even want to call them character breaks. They give her all of this like malleability of character because they just yeah. kind of need Anya to do something. Um, yep. And I think that starts to shift after mm-hmm. this episode. But yeah. It is this weird, like, this just like completely fluid Anya that we get in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And it's, yeah, it's unsatisfying. <laughs> it's not. It is. It is unsatisfying. But you know what is very satisfying? Mm. <laughs> At least for me. Oh my God, Tara and Willow. Like, okay, I wish that Tara saved herself in the melee scene, but I don't even care. I don't even care. I love them flirting. I love them smiling at each other. I love everything. It's so sweet. It's it very sweet. It's very sweet. I love them giggling while 
buttoning the wedding dress. It's I know. it's adorable. I know. It's so incredibly sweet. Um so yeah, but not much happens with Willow and Tara. But it's it's really it's just it's nice to have them. There's something about the world feels better and brighter when the two of them are flirting with each other. Mm-hmm. It's just nicer. It's just nicer. Um, we also have this, uh, like, a nice, very brief moment with Spike, you know, uh, Buffy and that Spike. That scene it's is sweet. real good. It's really sweet. I mean, they're both hurting. I love this. They're both hurting after a breakup, but they're being kind to each other. When Spike says, it's nice to watch you be happy, I don't get to see that a lot, you glow. What's a word for glow? like effulgent right um i love that that's so sweet they laugh together i love that spike with a soul is still an empathetic caring person i love that he likes seeing her happy and then he follows up with wanting to know that it hurts so funny so funny and then when he goes to leave and he says like she she affirms like yes it hurts and he's Mm -hmm. like good and then he leaves i'm just like oh honey it's It's so so sweet sweet. it's so incredibly sweet and once again there is no daylight for spike between love and pain yeah like that is all part of the same same package (laughs) that that venn diagram is a circle (laughs) it's a circle absolutely uh but it's so funny too because buffy once again is is looking to xander and anya to give her hope about love right um this is the second time after season five's triangle uh which came after a breakup right she breaks up with a guy and then the next episode is about the the great and wonderful love that is xander and anya and these are happy tears instead of tears about how oh my god this is not okay you've got to stop talking to her like that right mm-hmm. um you know and she's you know she's been there for all of xander's cheap shots at anya um has not ever said a thing thinks that they're a wonderful like romantic model um you know which which that may be part of Buffy's problem is if you see Xander and Anya and think that's what I want um, <laughs> then I think that things have gone wrong somewhere yeah. um, granted she grew up with Hank Summers for a father so her models of positive romantic relationships are very thin on the ground I get it yeah but still yeah, yeah. you can't I mean you can't know what you don't know right like you can't mm-hmm. ask for yep. what you don't know is you don't a possibility mm-hmm. like that's that's all mm-hmm. th- it's all real things but fair enough yeah the 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 Buffy view of Xander and Anya is so romantic. It's, I'm just like, oh, no, honey. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, no, baby. No, no. Oh, sweetie. No. <laughs> Go put the cookie dough back in the <laughs> oven. It needs to bake. All right, Noelle, my darling, what are you wearing? Oh, my God. Okay, so Anya really does look beautiful. Yes. That mm-hmm. dress is beautiful. And the veil especially yeah. I've never seen a veil oh, like that, lovely. and I love it. Mm-hmm. That huge, mm-hmm. like, cascade of all of the fabric. She looks gorgeous. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I just freaking love wedding attire <laughs> in film and television. Like, it's yeah. just, it's so fun to see what they choose because, you know, I know that for a lot of people culturally, the wedding dress is a huge, huge thing. And it's always so fun to see what the costume designer chooses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And the bridesmaids dresses, of course, the classic joke about terrible bridesmaids dresses. But the flower on the boob, right? Like, <laughs> not on the shoulder, on the boob. <laughs> like, I, I I, look at that and I'm just like, somebody had so much fun lining those up directly with everybody's nipple. Like, it was... 
the sleeves. So weird. Those, those, <laughs> what are the sleeves? I don't even, I cannot. Yeah. And that it's, color it's that terrible. looks good on no one. Although I nope. actually don't think they look that bad. I think they look okay. It's a little, yeah. it's a little wild. Well, they're, but yeah, they're, I mean, it's a particular, it's a group of particularly lovely people who can wear probably almost anything anyway. But uh, yeah, those, those dresses are uh, special. They're, they're very special. I hope that was fun to do. Yes, hope, I'm sure it was. I really hope that was fun to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but God damn it, I would have loved to have seen Willow in a tux. <gasps> She's the best man. She should have been wearing a tux. Man. Tuxie, that's it, nuts. That's the rule. She would have rocked it. And how much better would it have been if she was there looking amazing in a tux and Buffy was wearing this hideous bridesmaid's dress, right? And then Willow could be like, ha ha. <laughs> right? And that, mm-hmm. that would have been a great opportunity for Willow's that we got exactly. last week that I thought was mm-hmm. like not great. But here mm-hmm. it could have been really cute. It could have been really fun. Or she could have been like looking amazing in the tux and trying to be really nice about the dress. <laughs> there could have been some fun to be had. But yeah, Willow should have absolutely been wearing a tux as the best man. She should have been wearing a tux. All right. So, Noelle, here we are at the end of Hell's Bells. What's your favorite part? Okay. I love DeHoffren showing up at the wedding like Uncle DeHoffren. Like, it's no big deal. Just like... <laughs> Hoff- I don't know what it is about DeHoffren, but every time we see him, I'm just like, I just grin. I love to see him. I love him. He's so, and he's just so chill wherever he is. Yeah. He's just like, yup, <laughs> here, here I you am. You know, I love all my demons equally. Exactly. Yes, you know, exactly. he's, he's got that avuncular dad kind of thing going on. I like yeah. it. What about you, Lonnie? What's your favorite part of Hell's Bells? Oh, my God. That moment at the end in the black void where Anya just looks at DeHoffren and we know exactly what's going to happen. I love I love that moment where she looks at him and she's like, yeah, deal me in. That is amazing. All right, if you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish, and use the hashtag #StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our January producers, Shelly, Christina, Kristen, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers, do you know how much I love you? About half as much as I love you. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or get back to what you do best. We will be back next time with Normal Again, the 17th episode of season six. Until then, this bride waits for no one. <laughs>